1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. From Welcome to Art Slice, a palatable serving of art history. I'm Stephanie Duenas. And I'm Russell Shoemaker. Stephanie, how's it going? You look, you look happy. You look, you look smiley. Yeah. All right. What are we, what, what, who are we talking about today? I would love to tell you, Russell. But first, I would like to show you some images. I don't like this. Why not? Well, usually this is uh, my time to kind of disarm the listener, so to speak. You know, I'd be like, oh, like Jasper John's painting, I'm fainting. Or, oh, a demon reindeer in Machu Picchu. This is Russell's theater time? Yeah, no, it's time. No, it's not even theater. It's time It's time for the listener to relax, to realize they're not just in an art history lecture. They're part of it. They're vibing with us. They're here with us. They're in this studio. They're in these chilly lights above us. But it's okay. It's okay. I won't do a bit. I won't do a bit to start the show. Let's just go ahead. Let's, let's run with your thing. Run with my well, thing. Let's run with your thing. Okay, um, listeners, these images that I'm about to show Russell will be up on our Insta at ArtSlicePod. Or at our website, ArtSlicePod.com. And I have a feeling, listeners, Stephanie has a little glimmer in her eyes, so I think there's probably going to be a lot of images. It looks like a heavy a heavy presentation she's got here. Is that a compliment? I took, I took a peek at the slide <laughs> count, okay? A little bit concerned. Okay, I'm going to show you two images, and I want you to guess who they're by. Okay. Okay. Well, let's take a look at them. Um, so in the first image, we are looking at a cassette tape sized image, I would say. I don't know the size, but it looks like it could be, it could fit a cassette tape within it. The dimensions it. may fit yeah. a cassette tape. Yeah, okay. so I'm thinking maybe this is a band of some sorts. Maybe this is like a, a cool band cover. It's a house. It's a, it's a hardwood floor house. It's an interior? Yeah, an interior of a house. Thank you. Um, everything is painted green. It looks beautiful. It looks like it's out of a, like a Pharaoh and Ball catalog or something. Are you sure it's all painted green or is it just the the light casting a, a green glow on it? I thought you wanted me to describe this. Oh, okay. I'll shut yeah, up. This is my interpretation. All right. This is Russell time. You already took away Russell time once. You can take it away again. Equally. Okay. Um, but then there are some disembodied eyes just floating in, in each room. There are about three rooms. Um, only one of the rooms has a door on it. And these eyes are also green. They're floating. They're not attached to anything. They look like they could be coming out of the wall. I, I don't know. There are two uh, cyborg-looking moth creatures. They look like they have like crystalline uh, wings. They're very beautiful. They're, they're flying towards this candle, of course, like a like a like a moth to a flame, as they say. This is an album cover, all right. This is a cassette album cover, like I used to listen to in my old Subaru, which had the cassette player, which is awesome because you'd listen to one side, flip it over, next side. Can't skip songs. You got to hear the whole thing. It's great. I would think this would be like a druggy, reverby, psychedelic, I don't know, ambient band that's like experimenting with like dubstep. 
you know? And it'd be called, <laughs> they'd be called like the, the lichen panties or something. Is it lichen or lichen? I don't know. Okay. I think it's lichen. Lichen panties? Yeah. The green stuff that grows on trees and Trees and rocks. rocks? Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Poor yeah, that, that's, the, that's the reaction I, I would hygiene. I would want, but that's the kind of band that you know would be named that. Okay. All right. What's next? Here we go. Wow. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. Tell us. Okay. Tell so us. this is another cassette cover. Obviously, this is like sludge metal band, right? <laughs> what it's is like sludge? Dungeons and Drag. Oh, you don't know Sludge Metal Girl? No. Okay, I'll show you some Sludge Metal. It's not my favorite. Oh, no, I'm good. I just um, wanted you to tell me. About it. I'm <laughs> it's good. not my favorite, but I know what it is. Um, it's like a man dancing, but he's floating and, and he's got some interesting, like, it's not quite like mummy apparel. Think about dressing up as a mummy for Halloween. It's like more ornate than that. It's like woven really intricately, but it's that, it's that mummy like wrap. And behind him, (laughs) (laughs) and behind him is a castle with a beautiful arch. And there are some interesting geometric looking like rocks or shrubs or something maybe i I don't know but uh more importantly there are porcupine quills literally all over the ground and the man who's dancing seems to be projecting porcupine quills from his body or like attracting them um he seems to be like maybe he's like porcupine man from like porcupine planet um the porcupine quills are not like flat they're sticking straight up yeah yeah they're they're like sticking out of the earth so it's possible this man isn't dancing no, he he's definitely dancing. Always oh, dancing. Okay. Yeah. That's like uh what's that movie where they pour the water that on the flash dance? Yeah, it's a yeah. flash dance. He's yeah. doing the flash dance. And so this is a band cover. Hmm. Well, like I said, it's a sludgecore band. Uh, maybe with dual vocalists. And I'm gonna say they're called the Las Vegas Swan Spit Fever. Wow. You thought of that on the spot? Yeah. Wow. Kids you- kids, listeners, kids. Kids are children listening? They shouldn't be listening. Listeners, if you want me to name your band, I'll do it. Five bucks. Send your demo. I want. I need you to break down the name of this band for me, please. What do you mean? How? It's what? nonsensical. Oh. Sludge metal. See, I wouldn't know that. Yeah. I'm not cool. I just got to get with it then. Yeah. Okay. Get, well, that's... get on Bandcamp. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. So, who are they? I'm going to guess Magritte. Magritte was an illustrator. I could see him doing some, like... Now, this is... Album this covers. Is, this is too, too cool, okay. actually. Who is it? Big reveal. I'm surprised that you just, you really don't know. Okay. Um, They are by Maria de los Remedios, Alicia, Rodrigo, mm. Baro, y Uranga. You're not tricking me this time. Okay. You tricked me last time. It made me think it was the orange girl. Who's the orange girl? It's Remedios Faro. Orange girl? Yeah. Why? No, uh, Why Why orange? Naharana. Naranja? Naranja. Thank you. That's not the same <laughs> as Uranga. No. No. Hey, I got pretty far Silly. in Duolingo. <laughs> what? We just talked about Remedios Faro not... Just like an episode ago. Yeah. Okay. What about it? Don't you think it's a little bit too soon? This is my show. <laughs> All right. You can cut that. <laughs> Please, no. Um, I don't know. She's great. What can I say? If you recall, and we'll refresh you listeners on her story a little bit. We are catching up with her as she arrives in Mexico City in 1941. And she finds a city full of socialists and communists in exile, just like her. So Varro has left the war behind. She can settle down now. She can let her hair down. Mm. She can spread her roots. Just like that little circular system plant she had in that painting we talked about. Yes. she find, The roots finally found their way outside of that labyrinthian hellscape. So in that work that we discussed of hers last time, the main figure was trying to 
was trying to nurture this little plant and we equated it to Varro maybe trying to be creative in war-torn Europe and it was impossible because she was being interrupted by a disturbing presence. So now she's in Mexico. She can she can relax now, right? Um, and finally paint. So she said about making work in Mexico, quote, For me, it was impossible to paint among such anxiety. In this country, I have found the tranquility that I have always searched for, end quote. So she can breathe a sigh of relief and get creative, right? Ooh. Wrong. Huh? Before she can chill and paint, she needs to make money, right? We all got to make money. She wasn't able to make income off of her paintings yet, so she needed, she needed to find a job. So these illustrations, Russell, the ones mm-hmm. that I just showed you. They're for some really cool uh, label. No. So they're not cassette covers. Actually, what they were, and you're not going to believe this, mm. they were illustrations for pharmaceutical brochures. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't believe you. For Casa Bayer. For Bayer. Bayer. The aspirin company. Wait, wait what, what, what? These are pharmaceutical ads? Thank you. In the yes. 40s? They needed drugs back then, too. Like, um, what would you think if you saw, like, if you went to Target... <laughs> <laughs> and you, you need your ibuprofen, and then you see a guy getting stabbed by porcupine quills. I mean, that's the one I'm buying for sure. <laughs> oh my god! But like, no, you know what I'm thinking? I don't think this was for the average person. I think like these are brochures for like wholesale. I'm still confused because I I don't know if I saw like, this. No, like you as the customer are gonna see it. Like the person who buys the drugs for like Target is gonna see it. That person. Okay. What the drug peddler is going to stop by with their brochures? You're not going to see it. The 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 person in charge. Felicia, of that is. we're almost out of them. Uh, I forget the names of them. The one with the the mummified man getting stabbed by the by the porcupine quills. We need some more of those drugs. We're all empty. They're they're flying off the shelves. While you're at it, order some more of those disembodied eyes floating around. We need some more of those. We need some more of those too, Felicia. Okay, they're pretty convincing. I have to say, she's doing a pretty good job. Okay. She did work for them for a few years. So I'm, sure I'm a visual learner, Felicia. I just remember pictures. I don't what not me remember the words. How did I get in this position to be ordering drugs for people in Mexico City? I don't know. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I was very curious to see where this would go. All right, love it. Um, this was one of several jobs that that Varro had in Mexico. Mm. If you notice, she signed the corner Uranga, her mother's maiden name, to separate her commercial work from her fine artwork. Because she didn't want to be known for these. I mean... She's like, I'm not going to put the Varro name on this dancing porcupine man. <laughs> but she... But she, but she, like, still wants to use her name, but not like, this isn't, like, me, me. This is, like, yeah. me trying to make money. Listeners, um, I will say, like... The reason I thought they were Magritte, if you're familiar with Rene Magritte's work, and we'll include an image of his, of course, is his work is not nearly as detailed or as intricately textured as a Varro painting, at least the, the paintings that she became known for. So these are much simpler, much plainer, while they're still like pretty crazy. They don't have that Remedios Varro flair, there for lack of go. a better word. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's interesting that you mentioned that, because these are probably... A good example of where her work was headed after she moves to Mexico City. So okay. in comparison to what she was making in Europe versus what she was making after she moved to Mexico. Like so what was she making in Europe? In my opinion, person personally, wanna be Magritte painting. <laughs> wanna be Magritte painting? Yeah, but remember that she was 
she was married to a surrealist poet, and so she was hanging out with the surrealist. Okay, so I can imagine a lot of like sexual innuendos and weird like Freudian she's, things. She's trying to fit in, maybe you know. She's a young female artist surrounded by she's older not, maybe male. She's not trying to fit in. Maybe she's tr- just finding her voice. We all do that. We are we're inspired by things. We kind of copy those things, put our own spin on them for a while until we find something that's truly ours. Yeah. All right, back to the illustrations. So these were done in gouache. They're gouache on cardboard. I'm not terribly familiar with gouache. So, oh, oh, do you hear that? Mm. Do you hear that, Russell? No, I don't. I hear an art pantry That's funny, I don't opening. hear it. I got my headphones I think, on, I don't hear it. I think we're ready for Do pantries a, really make a noise? I don't think I hear anything. I think we're ready for an art pantry quickie. Mm, well, that's interesting, I don't hear it. Russell, it's time for the art pantry entry quickie. Okay. You know you love it. Gouache paint has been around since ancient Egypt. It's basically a different kind of watercolor. So watercolor is typically closer to being transparent. So when you paint with watercolor, you're actually seeing a lot of the surface that you're working on underneath the paint. However, gouache is more like oil paint. So it is way more opaque. Um, You would actually need to mix gouache colors with white instead of relying on the transparency of the water and the the color of the paper below. Um, It also handles a little bit more like oil paint than your typical watercolor. It dries very quickly, but it can actually be made workable again by adding just a little bit of water. So you can blend colors. You can do a lot of things with gouache. I absolutely love gouache. I get really frustrated with mediums that dry quickly like acrylic and tempera, but I love gouache. So if you're the same, you should try gouache out. That's it. That's all I got. Gouache out. Gouache out. You can also wipe out gouache with water. Oh. You don't like it. Yeah, it's like oil paint in that way too. You can wipe it away. Moving on. So here's an example of what those illustrations would have looked like on those pharmaceutical brochures. Why are you trying not to laugh? (laughs) What is so funny about this? Is this a Varro piece too? Yes. Okay. Yes. And now I think it's time to reveal the names. This one that we're looking at is called Malaria. Okay, I get dragonfly. that. Dragonfly. I totally get that. Wait, that's a dragonfly? Dragonfly. You would, oh, it's I like thought half, it was a mosquito. It's half mosquito, half dragonfly. The malaria turned it into half a mosquito. <laughs> you got to think like bears like, why? Why? what's this half dragonfly thing? It's her flare. I'm going to go back to those first two yeah, I showed I'm, you. Yeah, I got to know. You're going to be impressed. The first one with all the, um, the eyes. Floating eyes. Floating eyes. It's called Insomnia 1. Okay. From 1947. Okay. Listeners, if you've ever been tired and you're like me, you stumble into the kitchen, you pour yourself the biggest bowl of cereal you can, and then you walk to the couch to eat it in the darkness and just contemplate your life. But that sort of visual drags a little bit because like first you're in the kitchen and you're so out of it. You're so discombobulated. You're like looking at these bright lights. You're pouring the, the coconut milk into the cereal. Uh, you're looking at those um, those puffins just like float to the top. Puffin cereal. Yeah, puffin cereal. You, you realize you're, you're now in the dark living room, but you're still seeing the kitchen, you know, in your mind's eye. Like your brain's catching up to what your eyes are seeing. Things are slow. I don't have insomnia, but I, th- I, I could see you that. You can relate. I could see that. I could see that too. I haven't had insomnia. When I read the title, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Also, though, you could just, you could have insomnia because you're so paranoid. Like someone's watching you. Okay. That's, that's a creepy way to take it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight. Thank Maybe you very your much. anxiety is watching you, you okay. know? So the second illustration, Porcupine Man, I think we, we named it. Yeah, Porcupine uh, Man. For, for, for us. Porcupine Planet. Okay, well. 
<laughs> Porcupine Planet? Yeah, he's like a, a lesser known Marvel superhero comic. Oh, jeez. Okay. All right. All right. This is actually called Rheumatic Pain 2, number two. I don't know what that is. I think it's just like nerve pain. Too much dancing. Like I think of like arthritis, I think is what it is. Right? So it's just like it's in you. Yeah. Like in your bones, maybe. I don't know doesn't matter i don't think i need to know what it is i'm looking at this image and i'm just like that looks excruciating yeah good thing i have bayer though good thing i can get my hands on some bayer which is probably just like cocaine and a little bit of sugar back then working for bayer was just one of the many jobs that varro had yeah i can't wait what else what else what other weird ass like (laughs) illustrations that she make you're not even ready for this she made dioramas for a british anti-fascist propaganda office okay shut up Dioramas. She also hand-painted furniture and musical instruments. Oh, no, no, I don't even care about that. Dioramas. That is not a job. Yeah, you have to wonder how she found these these jobs. Now, we don't know for sure, but we can imagine that Varro met other immigrant artists from Europe while working these odd artist jobs. So, when Varro found a job designing costumes for Marc Chagall's ballet, Aleko, her close friendship with Leonore Carrington may have blossomed there. So, listeners, we've included images of the costumes that Varro and Leonore Carrington worked on. Just FYI, we're going to say Elsie in place of Leonora Carrington. Elsie? Yes. She has a gorgeous name, but we're just going to call her by her initials, Elsie. So you're getting a little lazy over there. You're, you're getting a little LZ. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no. Rude. Back to the costumes. They are an interesting mix of stylistic mark making mixed with what looks like printed images and mm. glittery, heavily saturated fabric. They're gorgeous. If you look closely... They do look a little dirty, though. I'm wondering if that's just the age of them. Yeah, they age. Okay. Fabric ages like that, yeah. If you look closely, you can see a bit of Varro and Elsie's artistic hand in these works. So they worked on these together? Yeah, you can almost see it, right? You yeah. can see Varro and Elsie toiling away, making these long into the afternoon, past the warm daylight and into the chillier evening. They finish up their work. They're happy that they've worked enough to keep food on the table. And they stroll down the busy streets, past the Spanish colonial buildings and tall ash trees, laughing all the way to Elsie's house. Varro sits down at the kitchen table and catches up with another close friend and artist. Kati. He is coming up from the pot on the burner, warming the room, and behind the cigarette smoke and the hybrid chatter of Spanish, English, and French, you can hear a stew bubbling loudly. Laughter fills the kitchen as Remedios Varro, Leonor Carrington, and Kati Orna toast and clink their tequila glasses together, signaling the beginning of a routine, the ritual of the evening. They each fill their bowls with a meal that they created from vegetables, chicken stock, herbs and spices from the market, and they embrace the feeling that overcomes them as the tequila works its magic. In Elsie's kitchen, transformation is welcome, through the making of a meal or the effects of spirits that temporarily transforms its drinker. Mexico City welcomed these three, and so many others, with open arms. Just years ago, their lives were each torn apart by the war. Each woman shows scars from their journey up to this point. But here, they are able to live to their full potential in this new and fruitful environment, just like the empowered figures and subjects in their works.
Today, we will be discussing The Three Witches, featuring Remedios Varro, Katiorna, and Leonora Carrington. Good job. You really got my, uh, you got my interest peak. Do you forgive me for interrupting your um, RT time? I guess so. So just the briefest of history lessons on Mexico so that we can understand the context of the Mexico City that these three witches find themselves in. Spain took control of Mexico beginning in 1522 when the Aztec Empire was in power. By this time in Western European art, da Vinci had already painted the Mona Lisa. Just... Yeah, just for some context. I know when I remember learning briefly about the Aztecs yeah. as a as a kid and they make it sound like that was thousands of yeah. years ago. It really wasn't that long ago. Wow. Yeah. So 300 years later, Mexico successfully fought for its freedom and went through a series of messy, violent changes as they try to figure out how to rule themselves. They fought off a French colonization attempt, a recolonization attempt by Spain. Like you do. Yeah. And eventually, after a revolution, they decided to go in a more socialist direction. Sounds like my kind of party. Mexico, after 300 years, <laughs> after everything they've been through, they are ready to make positive social changes for its people and for its government. Hell yeah. Sounds like they're learning from their past. Yeah. What a novel idea. Novel idea. So post-revolution Mexico was looking to distinguish itself from its Spanish colonial past. So Mexican artists look back at their pre-Columbian history. So think of the Olmec, the Maya, and the Aztecs, just just to name a few. And now they're looking at their post-colonization reality. Much of the work made included indigenous themes that were still heavily influenced by European art styles. It's kind of a fusion. That's what happens huh. with colonization. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, especially if it's like 300 years of colonization. Yeah. The now left-minded government supported these artists by commissioning murals for public buildings that emphasized Mexico as it was now, rather than focusing on European themes. So celebrating their history and celebrating their future. Reminding people what Mexico was, what it is, how it changed. And how it's going to be. What, what it's going to be like. It's aspirational. Yeah. When Mexico opened its doors to thousands of European World War II refugees... Artists, especially leftist artists like Varro, Elsie, and Katia Orna, who already held anti-fascist, anti-Franco views, would have found Mexico to be very appealing. Hmm. Mexico began a rich history of welcoming those who were politically persecuted. Like Trotsky. And even today, they're taking people like uh, Assange. It also had the benefit of uh, stimulating the economy, I think, right? Yes, that's true. Mexico was still recovering from decades of war and also adding to the already rich arts culture they now prided themselves on. So the U.S., on the other hand, uh, it probably wouldn't have appealed to Remedios Faro. Or any of them. Or, or any of the three, because the U.S. had a pretty well-known anti-communist leaning, uh, still does. And uh, it also lacked the European influence that, you know, recently decolonized Mexico had, I assume. Because, like, two of them are from Spain, right? Exactly. While the three witches haven't met yet, they are still on the same journey mm. from war-torn Europe to Mexico. They've all experienced some incredible trauma, either before their journey or on their journey. And I believe it's one of the reasons they eventually find comfort in their incredible friendship. Numero uno. Which number one? 
As a refresher, Barra was born in Spain. She was raised in a well-educated family. Her father was a hydraulic engineer, and his job kept the family moving around a lot, um, all over Spain and even into North Africa. But he did teach her how to draw, technically speaking. He was able to show her basically like how to draw architecture and all of that fun stuff, um, which definitely shows up in her work. She attended Catholic school as a young girl, and she absolutely hated it. Her mother was a devout Catholic, and she tried to instill her beliefs into young Varro, and Varro just wasn't having it, um, so she was expelled maybe once or twice. So at the age of 15, she she was at the time one of only a few females who were allowed to attend Escuela de Bellas Artes, art school. <laughs> she was 15 at the wow. time. Yeah. Dolly also went there and he also got kicked out. Um, just fun fact. Anyway, so she went there and she she excelled. In 1936, um, in Barcelona, she meets Benjamin Pere, who will become her second husband. And he is a French surrealist poet. Shortly after they meet, the Spanish Civil War breaks out. So she and Pere flee to Paris. Their political sympathies putting them in danger. Communists. <laughs> Communists. <laughs> They were soon absorbed into the activities of the Surrealist movement there. He was part of the group, right? So she was exhibiting with them, and she actually, she, Varro, was one of the few female artists acknowledged by the Surrealists. It was a real boys' club. Mm. In Paris, Varro lived in poverty. She was working odd jobs, and she even had to forge paintings in order to get by. What? I didn't know this. Yeah. That's crazy. A lot of artists actually did that. Yeah. Well, also, just like a reminder that she came from a wealthy family, but she... Chose to live her life this way. No trust fund. No trust fund. The Spanish Civil War broke out, and now World War II is slowly encroaching on them in Paris. Pere was an outspoken communist, and he was actually arrested a few times for being a communist. Mm -hmm. Barro was now in great danger for her connection to Pere and being her husband being and all that. Being married and all. Being married to an, a communist and all that. Uh, <laughs> so because of that, and also her left-wing Republican views on the Spanish Civil War, she could not go back to Spain. If she was deported back to Spain, she would have been executed. Mm. And if she stayed in Paris, she would have probably ended up in an internment camp. Not a lot of good options there. No. So she was foreign and she was a leftist and she was an artist. And so a woman. trifecta and a woman. So quadrifecta, quadrifecta, trifecta. We don't know. Okay. We don't know. <laughs> so anyway, she was arrested at some point. Oh. Yeah. Scary. Scary and traumatizing. Um, but eventually, in 1941, she and Pere managed to escape to Mexico. Wow. Yeah. Just in time. So, Varro did not escape without any wounds, scars. She lost her brother to the Spanish Civil War. He wow. was actually pro-Franco. Oh. Which was like extra, Ooh. extra deep. Yeah. Fascio Franco. Um, so, she lost her brother, and not to mention she's leaving her whole life behind. Right, her career, her family, never knowing if she'll see them again. And anyway, she's headed to Mexico. Pretty scary times. Only positive things to look forward to, right? Right. Which numero dos? Numero dos. Which number two? Is Katy Orna. 
Tati Orna was born in Budapest, Hungary in 1912. She was from a wealthy Jewish family. The violence and oppression of post-World War I Budapest left a deep impression on her and influenced her ideology from a young age. She studied radical politics in Berlin. Ooh. Yeah, so she was... Well, I mean, I Although coming from Berlin, like what kind of radical politics though? Um, like which which radical way are you going? Marxist. <laughs> she probably wouldn't be one of the three witches if she gone the other way, right? I mean, that's pretty radical, right? She was studying in Berlin and she had to leave Berlin because in 1933, Nazis were rising. The rise of Nazis. God, these fucking Nazis, Nazis everywhere, Nazis. everywhere. Nazis. everywhere. Um, and she's Jewish. So she's like, I'm going to go. <laughs> Bye. So she goes back to Budapest and she learns photography there. Mm. She just learns it. She trains for three months under the uh, well-known photographer, Joseph Pexy. She's a natural. She's picking it up in three months. Kind of, though. Yeah. Um, because she actually, she moves to Paris a few months later where her photography career takes off. Okay. Yes. And that radical politic education stays with her. Mm-hmm. Mind you, she didn't leave it in Berlin. So she goes to Paris and she she's she's making it. Okay. She's still struggling. Um, she also came from a wealthy family and she chose to live independently, even if that meant okay, another, making less. Another lady turning down her trust fund. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. Um, she was making choices that were far from conventional for young women at the time, mm-hmm. right? And shortly after the Spanish Civil War broke out. The same Spanish Civil War that it, took Varro's brother. Yes. That, well that he fought in. On the bad side. Yes. Okay. The one that disrupted Varro's life. And they didn't know each other before this? Um, They, you know, okay, so the three witches, they knew of each other. I, I was going to say it's like one of those movies where they, they keep crossing paths, but they never Like ships meet. in the night? Yeah. Probably. They knew of each other. I don't think they ever met. Spanish Civil War breaks out. And she moves to Spain. Okay, she goes to the war. To the okay? war. <laughs> she's so living. everyone else is leaving the war. Yeah, she's she like, goes no, to the war. I gotta go. I gotta go with my camera. She does. She with oh, her camera. Okay. She wants to use her skills and her talents to help out with the war. Right. So she goes to Spain and she gets a job working at a um anar- anarchist magazine journal. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, she is for the Spanish anarchists. So she's like, I want to help with the cause. So, So, listeners. Political quickie. (laughs) Kind of like art, I think politics can be kind of confusing and intimidating. There's a lot of scary words out there and we don't really know what they mean. Yeah, and they mean different things to different people. And that is basically anarchy. Most of the listeners know what socialism is or what fascism is. Anarchy, however, it kind of walks with socialism from time to time. They hold hands. Uh, But then it also kind of, it's like a love-hate relationship, right? Oh, shoot. Um, Anarchy opposes all authority by force. It does not like hierarchical rules, basically. And the emphasis of anarchy is on the autonomy of yourself or of small communities. Anarchists oppose governmental, like, control, basically. Whereas socialists just want people to control the government. And anarchists think that, well, you don't even need the government. You just need the people. Wow. There are like a million different types of anarchies. I won't even get into it. Right, like communism and socialism. Right, yeah, exactly. There's all different sort of shades of it. One that's really interesting, if you want to look into it, are the Catholic anarchists. I used to live next to a Catholic anarchist, and that was really fascinating. That's how I learned about it. Um, Excuse me? Yeah, it's cool. Look it up. It's really interesting. But you could see how anarchists would not like Franco. 
at all. There was also a lot of other cool things. Like they, um, they were actually like female-led militias. Basically, it would be like right up Kati's alley, I would think. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Did not know any of that. And that's your politicy quickie. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for that. So she's helping to produce uh, propaganda in support of the cause. And she's also collaborating with said influential anarchist periodicals. We will have an image of one of those. Yeah, these are really cool. She meets Man, her- these girls are badasses. Yes. Also, she is a graphic editor at these magazines. Well, okay. She's doing like, she's doing a ton of stuff for okay. the war. Okay. So she meets her future husband here, Jose Orna, who is also a painter and a sculptor. The war brings them together. Mm. Super romantic. Um. All right. So she- is technically a war photographer. She's photographing wow. the war. But Are there it's... any women doing this right now? Yes, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. But she is known for her choice in subject. So yes, she's photographing the war, but she's not photographing the front lines, like you would imagine. Uh-huh. Uh, she's actually photographing the people left behind. That included old people, uh, mothers, wives, children. children. Yeah. Um, Some stunning photographs. Yes, absolutely. There's so, not there's not a lot left over, right? There's only a lot of her work lot of from that lost. time was lost was lost during the war. Yeah. Um so she she was taking photos of the people in their town. Okay. So they're in line for rations or there's like a, there's a funeral of someone they've mm-hmm. lost and she she was considered visionary for for the subject matter, which yeah. it absolutely is. You there never think about work. the people left behind right. in that way. And on that note, she also she also photographed patients at a mental institution. This oh, okay. was a series of hers after this, but I just think it goes to show what kind of subject she's interested in. By choosing the subject matter, she's capturing the effects of the war on the people that we don't think about, right? They're, these people are yeah, getting shot always, at. You always but, just think of the war. You don't really think of the people that it affects. Right. These people are worrying or they're grieving mm-hmm. or they're starving. It's, that's a lot. So, so I remember watching a bit of Desert Storm when I was really, really young, like when I was on TV. I think it was like one of the first like super televised wars. And uh, I just finished listening to Blowback, which is an incredible series. And I never, it never dawned on me to think of like I, that. That bombing is so like historically, like I, I feel like I've seen the images of of the U.S. bombing Baghdad so many times, but you don't ever think about there's fucking people in those buildings, right? Like, can you imagine like right now we're podcasting, there's like bombs going off, right? It's remi- reminding us of the humanity, right? So she, I mean, she's well ahead of her time even to some extent today i mean i'm kind of left without words because she is she's she's in her early 20s Mm -hmm. she's left her family behind she's she's yeah she's gone to the war so like varro kati's husband was arrested by fascist franco's goons in 1938 second appearance fash franco no it sounds like he's fashionable which he probably wasn't no offense but wait total offense (laughs) who cares who gives a fuck he's got that fash fash so eventually he is freed. Uh, he was arrested because, you know, anarchy. Well, he's, yeah, that. he's working at an anarchist <laughs> magazine. Yeah. Fascist Franco, not going to like anarchy magazines. He was not a subscriber. Nope. Um, that is so badass. I'm sorry. He I have to say. He prefers the funny pages. <laughs> what? Yeah. Franco, a uh, big Garfield fan. He had the little like suction cup Garfield in the window. Oh my gosh. Says, I hate Mondays. Get out of here. I believed you for one second because I'm that gullible. <laughs> no, it's true. Okay. They escape to Paris. Because you'll be safe in Paris, of course. Wrong. Because also World War II is happening. Remember that. So the Nazis are slowly taking over. So even in Paris, they are still being harassed by, if it's not the French officials, then it's the Gestapo, the Mm. Nazi police. um, Because they are both foreign. They are anarchists. 
and they are artists. And not to mention that Katy is Jewish. A lot of checks against you in the uh, the Nazi fascism world. On to which numero tres? Which number three is Leonora Carrington? LC. LC. LC was born. I'm about to start rapping. Elsie <laughs> was born in 1917 to a wealthy family in Northern England. I say wealthy because... So all of these girls came from wealthy families. The Carringtons, though, they were like new money. New money. New money. <laughs> they're not getting invited to the country club if they're new money. They were. They were invited to the country club. No, not my country club. Yep. Only old money in my country club. Old money and then just like just brand new money. Like just, ooh, ooh, just happened. Super fresh. Yeah, super fresh. Fresh out the oven. But only so we can make fun of them. (laughs) Oh, like hazing them? Yeah. Anyway, her father was an English textile manufacturer. That's where the money came from. So Elsie was homeschooled until she was 11. She was educated by governesses. Okay. Tutors and nuns. Okay. Okay, eventually she did. Quite a collection. Yes. Eventually she did go to school. She went to convent school. She was very rebellious and she got kicked out. Just like Varl. Of a school or two. Yeah. It's very, I I can attest to this. Um, I went to Catholic school. Oh yeah? Years. Yes. Um, I felt repressed. Did you? Yeah. I was always in the principal's office. (laughs) Ask me what? Ask yeah, exactly. Um, for wearing black nail polish, not doing your prayers right. Was that you? You cross your chest the wrong way. I pass religion classes with flying colors, mind okay. you. So I'm just a good student like that. No, but I would I would always get in trouble for like the color of my hair. Um, I also got in trouble for looking too goth in public. Like it was bad. Did they say that? Yeah. You look too goth. Basically, they were like, this is not Aren't a they good from image for the gothic. I think architecture and art is a little different from... Well, that should have been like, your excuse. Fashion. I don't know. At some point, you're just like, come on. Like, what is this holier-than-thou like attitude? Like, I, can I just be a good human and look no. a little bit different? No. Yeah, I know. It's not. You so, should become a Catholic anarchist. Okay. I don't know about that. Catholic school was very uninteresting for LC. Can't imagine why. Awful. Um, <laughs> so she got kicked out of school and her parents are just like, what? What can we do? What can we do, LC? And she's like, I want to take art courses. That kind of explains why maybe she was a little bit different. Yeah. You know? Uh, and they're just like, okay, but only if you attend the debutante ball. Okay. You know, the debutante ball. Sure. So what is a debutante ball? Ooh, so debutante balls and or cotillions. It's a decadent gathering for rich people to introduce their children to society. Oh, sure, sure, Other rich families. I'm just really going to break this down for you. I've been to, okay, no, I got it. I've been to, I've been, I've been to plenty of those. Okay. Okay. But why don't, I mean, proceed to the listeners. They know. Great. Remember the listeners. It is where in high society, and see, I don't even know if I'm using the right lingo because yeah. it's just such a foreign in the new In the me. new money, not in the old money, which I'm I'm a part of. Because I, because if we, if there was a debutante ball in the old... They they still happen, by the way. But anyway, so it's <sighs> um, basically a lot of families that have money are all part of like country clubs and like, mm. you know, societies and stuff. And they want to introduce their young to society. So they get them all dressed up and dolled up. They teach them like etiquette and how to dance and stuff. And so Kay. then they go to this ball. They all gather in one place and they all dance and they have dinner and you get to mingle and possibly meet a suitable bachelor Okay, to then be betrothed to. That sounds horrible. <laughs> Using a lot of words that I'm not <laughs> betrothed. High society. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds awful. Yeah. I'm sure she just said yes, parents, because she wanted to go to art school. Mm. 
So she did. She said, sure. And then that went smoothly and that was that. And that's why you brought it up. You know, that's not how it went. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm a little worried. Before we get there, before we get to that part, though, she does go to an art academy in Florence. Okay. Italy. And she's there for about a year. Cool. She's soaking up the masterpieces, the Italian culture, you know, all that fun stuff. Eating goose to pizza. Probably, honestly. that. So Elsie goes back to England um, after she finishes up her schooling in Florence and she receives her first book on surrealism from her mother. There was books on surrealism back then. There were books, yep. But it just came out. It was super fresh, yes. This is 1936. Or are they printing them themselves on like, I'm just saying, give it some time so we can digest it. You don't need to be like printing books, right? Anyway, go ahead. Um, That was a sweet gesture of her mother because she was actually supportive of her art career, whereas her dad was like, "Mm mm-mm. No, only debutante balls for you, young lady. So anyway, yeah, so she's back in England and she's going to head to London for this debutante ball we've just been talking oh, about God. for like ever. All right, just get to it. What's going to happen? I, is she going to pour a bucket of paint on somebody? What's she going to do? Are you ready for this? What? She reads a book. Okay. At the ball. So she shows up, you know, all dressed up, long gloves past the elbows, and she's she's reading a book. Okay. Not very proper for a woman of her age. Okay. I don't think she cared. All right. So anyway, she hated it. She had brought a book to read. And of course, her parents were furious. And she actually they wrote... They were furious about the book? They were furious that she brought a book to the debutante oh, ball. Oh, because they like, they're like, right, you know, you that's art like school, a... we'll let you go to the debutante ball or whatever. It's a trade-off. And she I mean, like, she held up technically. She technically held up her end of the like, bargain. You didn't say I couldn't have a book, mom. Also, how does it reflect on her parents when their daughter is reading a book at a debutante ball? They're new money. I mean, you can spot them. What? <laughs> Elsie, as we can tell, she is very bookish and she actually is a writer as well as an artist. She wasn't a writer as well as an artist. So apparently one of her first works is the short story she wrote about the whole ordeal at the debutante ball. All right. You want to hear a story? What if I said no there? There, I'm going to tell you anyway, honestly. So there's a there's a young girl who goes to the zoo. There's a hyena there. Okay. Which, by the way, I've never seen a hyena at a zoo. I don't know where she went to find this hyena. There's hyenas at zoos. They're so horrifying. I feel like I would have remembered them anyway. Maybe they're not that horrifying. You're right. Maybe Disney has led you astray. So this young girl befriends a hyena, and then somehow it follows her home, and she's like, oh, good, you're here. She convinces the hyena to take her place at the debutante ball. Okay. Uh, there are some problems oh, I yeah. foresee with that okay. right, right off the bat. First of all, hyena, not a woman, Kay. not a human woman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So. A little bit furry. They come up with a plan. Laughs a lot. To pass off the hyena as the young woman. They kill her nanny. Okay. And then the hyena crawls into the nanny's body and kind of operates it like a like a mech. You would think that. Instead... The hyena nibbles off, carefully nibbles around the face of the nanny. Okay. So it is intact. Some problems there too, but okay. The hyena I wears... guess the, this is like you, you just don't think about it too much, right? You just kind of go with it. You must suspend disbelief. Okay, okay, okay. Nibbles off a face. Cool. All right. Wears said nibbled face okay. as a mask. Okay. So they just see a blank face with hyena eyes sticking out beneath it. Like it's from Jeepers Creepers. And yeah, I don't know if that works. And there's still a furry body. Okay, go, but go on, go on. Wears young woman's shoes. Thus, her disguise is complete. Okay. Mm-hmm. Four shoes? <laughs> two, two pairs of shoes? Hind legs. So just two. Okay. Gotta stand up like stand okay. upright like a human. All right, hyena makes it down to the debutante ball. 
doesn't make it halfway. And has problems walking the whole way. That may have been a part of it. Like, Lenora, um, you need to stand upright. You cannot walk around on your... <laughs> the hyena's just like, I just can't do this anymore. And... <laughs> Freaks well, out. I don't blame the hyena. It I freaks mean, out. this is an impossible situation. She's like, kid, like I'm wearing a fucking nanny's head. I'm Face. wearing shoes, shoes, shoes on like two sets of my paws. I can't stand upright. This dress looks horrible on me. Doesn't match my eyes. Not even my <laughs> nanny eyes. And clearly, the rest of my body still fucking hyena body. Go on. I'm sorry. Right. So the hyena did not have a good time. Okay. Okay. And um. It ends up eating the the face, the the nanny's face. Ends up eating it and being like, "Bye." Just wa- just walks away. Just eat that face. Doesn't eat anybody else's face. We were wondering how she felt about the whole thing, and she I just left that out know. for her nanny to read accidentally. Elsie, yeah. <laughs> nanny, <laughs> A nanny, I left my book out. Would you fetch it for me, nanny? Nanny. In any case, Elsie convinces her parents to let her stay in London. Yeah, I'd be like, get this girl the fuck away from me. She's, She's like, making threatening but- remarks at my nanny, my precious nanny, who I've known for my whole life. She's letting hyenas out of things. She's 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 a hyena queen. She's got two hyenas. They go to a liquor store. They, you know, stack up on top of each other with a little coat. They buy the <laughs> liquor and then they kill the fucking liquor attendant and then they carry it home with them. How did they carry it home with them? They put it between uh, their bodies and like tightly pressed to keep the bottle really. T- I mean, she trained these hyenas wow you have details for everything i see why you were so upset about well, the short she's story able to make a hyena into a person to go to the debutante ball she's pretty good with hyenas so she goes to the chelsea school of art where she finishes her art school education her finally. BFA thesis show all hyenas just furry canvases. actual hyena oh okay they just they they'll like uh assemble they'll stack on top of each other oh that's a sculpture uh one will uh hang on the wall oh that's a painting what you don't like my work teacher Talk to the hyenas. You don't see that teacher again. That teacher's gone. You might see its face on one of the hyenas. It's an art piece. All right. Well, speaking of exhibitions, in 1936, the Surrealists have their first international exhibition in London. Now, Leonora is in London, but she did not attend this exhibition, but she somehow gets her hands on a catalog. One painting in particular catches her eye. Okay. She looks at it and she's just like, Mm. I'm attracted. <laughs> I'm attracted to, to this, this artist. Yes, I'm attracted to this painting. So that must mean I am attracted to its maker. Mm. I don't know why I said it like that. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I'm imagining Elsie just sitting on like a throne of hyenas while she's looking at this catalog. In another world, yes, that would happen. So this painting turns out to be by the surrealist artist Max Ernst. So she sees this painting. She basically knows that she's in love with Max Ernst. She thinks she's in love with Max Ernst. She eventually gets to meet Max Ernst. So she sicks her hyenas on him. Find the scent. <laughs> they come back. Got got some info to report, Elsie. He's going to be at this dinner party. These are the locations. And she's like, did you? And they're like, what? They look at each other like, what? And then the two hyenas look at each other and they're like, oh, yeah, we both have these human faces on our faces still. They're like, oh, isn't that embarrassing? I love that. I love the hyena, the hyena bits. So she meets Max Ernst at this dinner party. They fall madly in love and they leave to Paris. Uh, a very May-December relationship. She, okay. is, she is 20 years old at this time. Okay. And Max Ernst is 46. Hey. And I only say that to point out how much she did not 
give a fuck. I mean, when they get to Paris, Max has some uh, business to take care of, okay. like divorcing his current wife. Cool. Yeah. All seems above board. So while they're in Paris, they are at the heart of the Surrealist movement. Max Ernst is one of the leaders of Surrealism. So she's right there alongside with him. She is... I want to say she's keeping up with the boys. You know, the... So she held her own. Right. Okay, she was just as talented as they were. And she also refused to be their muse. The, okay. sur- the Surrealists were obsessed with the idea of the femme enfant, which is basically a woman child. That's disgusting. Uh-huh. Yep. And she's just like, no. Okay. I'm also a painter. I need to know more about this, but I we need to keep going. Uh-huh. Well, Obsession with them. That sounds gross. Yeah. Well, I'd I mean, stick she, my hyenas on them. She's a very, she's a very young woman. She's she's in, she's only twenty at this time, but still, she's holding her own. So eventually, they leave Paris and they they get a house in the south of France. So they are living their best lives. They are making work. They're inspiring one another, and they're just they're just madly in love. It actually shows up in their work. They each painted uh, portraits of one another. So, listeners, the painting by Max Ernst. It it looks like a typical Ernst. Uh, it is full of like swampy imagery. I think he was inspired by German fairy tales, right? About swamps, something like that. Oh, okay. It's something like that. Uh, don't quote me. <laughs> so it has his like unique forms and textures and shapes. Behind all that is Elsie looking like the Swamp Queen or like Poison Ivy from Batman. Swamp Goddess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like controlling the swamp. She's looking real badass. So in Elsie's painting, it's also very typical of her work, but it does seem a little bit younger. It doesn't seem quite as skilled as some of her more mature works, but she's got her white horse in the background, which is a, a motif that Elsie uses. It's right? spirit animal. Yeah, it's kind of Lynchian or something. There's Max Ernst hanging out on an iceberg, like you do. He's chilling. He's chilling. And he is wearing J. Crew looking socks. One sock, only one. Well, foot there's only is one foot. Visible. Is his other foot the tail? I don't know. Just go to our Instagram. Look at it. It's weird. It's weird. Check it out. They're painting each other as like furry sea whales with J. Crew socks and plant goddesses. They each have their own like weird, I think, sexual fantasies going on here that I'm. I don't really want to be privy to, if I'm being honest. So the honeymoon is over. It's 1939. The Nazis are taking over France. French officials arrest Max Ernst because they're paranoid, basically. Um, They arrested him for being a hostile alien. He was eventually released after a few weeks. You would think that would be it, but no, then then the Nazis come in and the Gestapo arrest him. Okay. But not for being a hostile alien, but for being an artist. His artwork was considered to be degenerate art. So the Nazis really had no use for esoteric imagery. The artwork that was allowed in Germany at this time strictly illustrated Hitler's ideal future. Or if the artist was given a little bit of artistic freedom, then it was used for racist propaganda, like horrible images of Jewish people, even black people. So all the garbage beliefs aside, the work that was made in Germany during this time was just Boring. It was boring as hell. Sounds boring. Think about children's books that were drawn realistically. Can you imagine reading like SpongeBob SquarePants, but it's just a blonde boy who's (laughs) staring at the vast German countryside looking for anybody who looks a little bit Jewish? 
Like that was a children's book. Oh my book. God. Yeah, that was a children's book. And Max Ernst actually fought in World War I for the Germans. He left that lifestyle to become an artist. Really? Yeah, so they could have also thought of him as a defector of sorts. Wow, the betrayal. He's arrested a second time, and this is just horribly traumatizing for Elsie. So doesn't know she's ever going to see him again, doesn't know if he's going to survive or what's going to happen to her for that matter. Um, the Nazis are closing in, um, so she panics. She sells their house, and she leaves for Spain with another friend. They got to get out of there, right? They got to get out of France. They get to Madrid, and she and she runs to the British embassy for help. Now, mind you, she's already traumatized from what has happened with Max, so slowly her mental state is worsening. So by okay. the time she gets to the embassy, she's kind of losing it, and she was eventually admitted to a mental institution. It just so happened that the mental institution that she was checked into was run by a doctor who was experimenting on his patients with what we now call or what we now know as electroshock therapy. Oh, yeah. Dr. Schockenstein. Yeah. She was subjected to electroshock therapy. She was given seizure-inducing drugs oh, as God. well as barbiturates. What? Yeah. Wouldn't those counteract? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if he was just cruel or they just didn't know this at the time. Testing some stuff out. They would give her all that and then they would leave her strapped in the bed for days, just like just convulsing. Oh my God. I know. It's awful. Horrific. So Ugh. she was there for a year and eventually her family hears about it. Like, oh, Elsie. A hyena um, wounded comes, shows <laughs> up and he's got a note in his mouth. But he lets them know that that, that hyena. That is how, That brave okay. hyena. Love it. So <laughs> to counter that, um, they actually send her Irish nanny on a submarine to come and save her. What? Are you? Okay. It's real. This is weird. This is weirder than the hyena uh, narrative I'm I'm creating. Anyway. Uh, they just have a submarine? Where did they get the submarine? Uh, whatever. They're Keep new going. money. They're flaunting it. Um. So if you're interested in hearing how Elsie overcomes this period in her life, she actually has a memoir called Down Below. All right. So she... Eventually is checked out of the uh, mental institution and then her family so kindly arranges for her to go to another mental institution in South Africa. Okay. Just get away from us, Elsie. So the submarine stops in Portugal and, you know, she just, Elsie escapes out of a bathroom window. Yeah, I would too. She's like, nope. Peace out. I have to. She climbs down uh, like a stack of hyenas. Yes. Like, what is it? Rapunzel? Yes. Yeah. Yes. See, now you planted the hyena seed in my yep. head, and now that's all I see and think about are hyenas. Anyway, she <laughs> she escapes from the bathroom window, and then she, she goes to a bar, and she runs into an old... <laughs> yeah, I would go to a bar first, too. <laughs> yeah, with the hyenas. Um, and she runs into an old acquaintance from Paris, who just so happens to be the Mexican poet and journalist, Renato Leduc. Picasso introduced them. Oh, yeah. la-di-da. Uh, la-di-da, he takes pity on her, and he's like, sure, I'll marry you, because um, she was like, hey, can we like get married so I can so we can get the hell out of here. So anyway, they get married and Wait, what? Yeah. Or she he's taking her back to Mexico. Yes. Okay, okay. She has a Mexican visa now that okay. they are married. That's quick. She gets a Mexican visa and she heads to Mexico away from her family and away from war torn Europe. Varro, Katy, and Elsie all received an unorthodox education. They supported themselves, and they thrived in a male-dominated world, including the art world. 
as we will see, they reclaim traditionally feminine and oppressive spaces like the kitchen or the home by transforming it into a place of power. They did this by learning how to juggle art making with domestic responsibilities, by painting with one hand and making dinner with the other. Or camera. Or camera. Yeah. Although back in the day, I don't know how that would have worked. It's not like she had an iPhone or like a digital. She's, just, she's got one strong arm to hold that heavy camera. Very steadily. It's a very strong arm. Well, both arms got to be, because if you're going to hold a baby in one or hold a pot or I think you're bowl. overthinking this. Okay. You need a, three, a third arm for that. <laughs> oh, I'm overthinking it. Or a hyena who was trained. Oh, with an apron? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. All three women's lives, loves, and careers were disrupted, and they would find themselves displaced in a new country again. But this time it would be different. It would be called home. Extraordinary trauma is what brought them together as friends and why we have found them drinking tequila at this kitchen table. They had the ability to transform pain into strength, and with open minds, they embraced the mysteries of the world around them. It's why they were nicknamed the Three Witches by those who knew them. Ooh. Yeah. Caught your attention. Yeah. I'm on the edge of my seat. All right. Well, you were going to have to wait for part two. No. Oh, come on. You what? knew this was coming. I didn't know this was coming. You, all right. Well, surprise. You have something to look forward to. Listeners, if you're enjoying the show, please, please, please leave us a review. A, a written, written review. review on Apple Podcasts. Or whatever platform you use, Apple's usually the best one to get us higher in the rankings because so many different platforms use Apple. Very confusing stuff we're still learning about, but we would really appreciate it. In fact, we love all the reviews we've gotten so far. Thank you so yes, much. Thank they, you. They really brighten us up. We they make our have <laughs> full time jobs, of course, and we do this on the side, and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, actually. We didn't think it was going to be this much work, but it's actually a lot. Of Oh my God. Um, so thanks so much and please keep doing it. In fact, we have something special to give to people who are leaving reviews. And written reviews. Written reviews, yes. And we will talk about that next episode once we have the product in our hands. So stay tuned for that stay as tuned. well. Stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. And if you have something to say, feel free to leave us a comment on our Instagram or our Twitter. But if not, you can email us at artslicepod at gmail.com. Yes. So we would love to hear what you thought about this episode, what you thought about previous episodes, and especially uh, what you thought about some of the work that we've talked about so far. So let us know what your critique is. Let us know what you liked or didn't like about those pieces. All right. We will see you next week, listeners. Thanks so much. And no. And no. Your kid couldn't have painted that. Uh, but your hyena got enough of them together. Maybe. 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 All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.